Welcome to History of the Sports Bra. Hello, and welcome to History of the Sports Bra. My name is Sophie. And I'm Julia. And today, we are going to dive into the world of softball. There are like a thousand names for softball from the early days. So I was going to be like softball, a.k.a. something, but I forgot what those were. Oh, a.k.a. pumpkin ball. I like kitten ball of us. Yeah, a.k.a. kitten ball. Kitten ball. But before we get into the deets of today, we will do our women's sports news of the episode. So mine is that there was this article recently about how women's sports revenues are hitting new highs in the wake of COVID-19. And this is according to Deloitte, which is a company that rejected me when I applied, but they are a very, very reputable source. And what's so exciting is that they were saying that women's sports are generating revenues in excess of a billion dollars in the coming year, even with the financial impact of COVID, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And then one of the consultants at Deloitte Sports Business Group said that she thinks the 2021-2022 season might be the breakaway season for women's sports revenues because right before COVID-19, match day audiences, TV viewing figures, and fan bases for women's sports groups had been building at a phenomenal pace. And that is just so exciting because here at History of the Sports, where we are huge women's sports fans. Definitely. And I also think too, like... You've seen that TV viewership, at least during COVID, has been down Mm -hmm. across the board for male sports. NBA, it's its like lowest. It was down, I think, like around 20%. NFL, same thing. So overall viewership is down for those sports, but it's actually up for uh, the WNBA. And it was like blown out of the water for the NWSL because they finally started putting games Mm -hmm. on cable television. CBS, I think on Saturdays and Sundays had NWSL games on. So people could easily watch it. It's not that people don't want to watch it. It's just Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to find it. So hopefully, like you said, with 2021 coming up and the revenue being there, that there's Mm -hmm. just, again, an increase in sports or in women's sports coverage, because that's what needs to happen in order for it to make money. It's all like this positive feedback loop. So. Yeah, I think I read some stat that the WNBA had like an increase in 68%. So moving in the right direction. And then my news for the week was there's this really interesting op-ed in the USA Today about how the WNBA team Atlanta Dream influenced the Georgia Senate election. So part of the reason why it was even this close in such a traditionally red state was because the WNBA took a stand. For those of you who don't know, the Land Dream is owned by current Senator Kelly Loeffler, who is facing a challenge from um, Reverend Raphael Warnock for that seat, the Democratic representative. Mm-hmm. And back when the WNBA was starting the wobble, their very first games were televised on ESPN2, and the Atlanta Dream players themselves wore Vote Warnock shirts. Yeah, And that is just, it's good press for Warnock, and it's even more impressive because they're doing it They're taking a stand against their own owner. And the reason why they wore these shirts is because Kelly Loeffler called out the social justice movement in the WNBA, which needs to happen. Yeah. It's pretty cool that so many people tuned into this WNBA game. So many people saw that. And it's just further proof that 
their voices matter. Yeah. And it proves it again, time and time and again, the WNBA is on the forefront of social justice initiatives. Yeah. One last thing before we dive into today's episode, we have a plug for a fellow sports podcast. So this podcast is called The Gist of It, and it's a weekly podcast that brings you everything you love about the Gist's email newsletter. And if you don't get their email newsletter, you absolutely should sign up for The Gist. It covers the good and the bad and the ugly about the world of sports. And The Gist of It is a women-produced podcast and the gist is a women produced email newsletter the podcast is hosted by ellen hislop and stephanie rutz and i love the newsletter and i love this podcast find it on spotify or apple pods check out all those good pod sites we'll be sure to throw a link up on our site and check them out So without further ado, we will get into softball, which I am very excited about because while I don't play softball in any type of actual competitive sense, <laughs> social softball is a huge thing. It I'm is a big major fan. in young, young professionals. They love their softball league. Oh my God. Honestly, I think the Young Professional Summer Softball League is how people get through their work days. Yes. Okay, so softball was invented inside the Farragut Boat Club on a blustery winter day in November in 1887 in Chicago. So apparently a bunch of Yale and Harvard alumni were at this boat club because that's where Yale and Harvard alumni always are. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Waiting the results of the Harvard and Yale football game. So when the news came out that Yale beat Harvard, one Yale supporter picked up a boxing glove and threw it at a Harvard alum who tried to hit it back with a stick. George Hancock, a reporter from the Chicago Board of Trade, saw this interaction and was like, OMG, this kind of looks like baseball. What if we start indoor baseball? So Hancock developed special rules for this game, which were adopted by the Midwinter Indoor Baseball League of Chicago in 1889. And a couple years later, 1895, the first women's team was organized at Chicago's West Division High School. So one quick note, though, women had been playing baseball since 1866 when Vassar College became the first school to have two amateur women's baseball teams. And so in the 1890s, there were hundreds of women's baseball teams like the All-Star Ranger Girls, the Philadelphia Bobbies, the New York Bloomer Girls. And so in 1898, Lizzie Arlington was actually the first woman to sign a professional baseball contract with the reserve team of the Philadelphia Nationals, which was a men's team. So like baseball slash softball kind of was a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of letting in women. Yeah, it didn't seem like there's much pushback. You know, you need somebody. She knows how to play. And it was just kind of like, okay, bada bing, bada boom. Let her in. She was the first woman to play in a professional men's baseball game when she pitched the ninth inning for the Reading Cole Heavers. So now you got a little background that, you know, women have been in baseball for some time now. So in 1904, Spalding's Indoor Baseball Guide, which is what we're calling softball at this point, indoor baseball, had an entire section about women's softball. Softball was actually more accessible to women than some other sports because it started as a community sport and an amateur sport. 
But the name softball wouldn't come about until much later. Softball had a thousand weird early names. Yeah, so we got the classic indoor ball. We got kitten ball, playground ball, pumpkin ball, recreation ball, twilight ball, which I don't get why like twilight. I guess maybe because you play it in the evening. Army yeah. ball, lightning ball. That sounds like something that would be in Harry Potter. Yeah. Is that mush ball? Big ball I think and night ball. ball. Oh my gosh, mush ball. Recreation ball is also funny because it is similarly so nondescript. It could refer to a Any thousand sort of ball. So then in 1933, softball became part of the Chicago World's Fair and 350,000 people watched the game. And then in 1943, Philip Rickley established the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which was a professional baseball league. And it started as a substitute for baseball while men were overseas in World War II. In 1954, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League folds. And what comes up next is Fats. Fast pitch. Wow, there's a lot of hard things to say in that. Fast pitch amateur teams, and they become wildly popular in the 60s. Many communities had softball fields and women's amateur teams that were sponsored by local businesses. So like your local pharmacy would sponsor a women's fast pitch team. That's cute. I like that. I love it when local businesses can can sponsor it. Mm -hmm. But the women who played in these amateur leagues were athletes. Make no mistake, this was not company summer softball leagues where you walk around the bases with a beer in hand. A beer or two, I know. Shout out to my friend Sarah Jaffe. If you're listening to this, she'll listen to it. But this describes her and her league to a T. I mean, she would come home and be a little bit under the influence. I'm not going to throw her under the bus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. the, The women in these amateur leagues were stone cold sober because they were hardcore athletes. And actually, it's funny, I found this New York Times article that was talking about the amateur women's softball leagues in an article from like the 60s. And it described it as, it's not a sissy sport played for laughs, which sounds quite the opposite of the uh, the summer the, softball Yeah, league. the work league, yeah. So then in the 70s, the popularity of women's softball as a mass attraction started to fade as softball lost sponsors. So Billie Jean King, yes, the same Billie Jean King who we talked about last time, the tennis phenom. Our queen. Our queen helped start a professional women's softball league in 1975 that was called the International Women's Professional Softball League. So interestingly, this is actually the first pro sports league for women in team sports. So before basketball, before soccer. That's, I mean, that's impressive. That's impressive. That's a cool thing that softball should, you know. They should tout. Yeah, they should tout that. Yeah. It originally had 10 teams, but unfortunately, the league folded in 1980 because of dysfunctional management. But softball continued to grow. In 1982, the NCAA sanctioned the Women's College World Series, which we will get to in a bit. Then, 1996, Women's softball added to the Atlantic Summer, tripping over my words today, Atlanta Summer Olympics. And who do you think took home the gold? It's gotta be us. The U.S. Boom. Then we're winning 
nonstop. We win in 2000. We win in 2004. We get silver in 2008. But then the International Olympic Committee decides to drop baseball and softball from the 2012 Olympics. But there has been a proposal to revive softball in the 2020, which of course was postponed because of Corona. So hopefully when we get it in, is it 2021 that they're thinking? Yeah, they're, doing, yeah, they're going to try to do it next summer. We can bring back softball. Oh, yeah. Because we got we to gotta get back to getting gold. So now... The Women's Pro Softball League was launched in 1997 with the help of Jane Cowles, who was a former Utah State softball player. And they somehow got AT&T to sponsor the league, which is pretty dang cool. That's impressive. So nine of the WPSL games were televised, and the season was considered a success with over three million households watching a game on average. And in the following season, 30 more games were televised, and these consistently outrated MLS and NHL game, which is Major League Soccer, so men's soccer, and National Hockey League, men's hockey. But play was suspended in 2002 for restructuring and rebranding, and it emerges in 2004 as the National Pro Fast Pitch. And MLB actually partnered with National Pro Fast Pitch as its official development partner to try to boost the league. And I have to admit, this is really going to reflect poorly on me, but I like I knew about the Women's College World Series and how popular it was, but I did not know that there was professional softball until doing digging for this episode. Yeah, I didn't really know about it either until um, like one of my friends in high school was really big into softball. So, you know, she kind of like showed me it. But I feel like, again, it's one of those things where it's just not covered. You know, there wasn't a lot of information or research about why the WPSL needed that restructuring and rebranding in 2002. But I would just guess sometimes people just aren't really willing to bet on women's sports, kind of unless they're like attached to a men's league. There's like a collateral in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But all that being said, now both of us know about the National Pro Fast Pitch. And I got to say, they have some great team names. There's this one team called the Scrapyard Dogs. And Dogs is spelled D-A-W-G-S. So I guess I should say Scrapyard Dogs. 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 Which actually, okay, this is asterisk. It's actually now an independent softball team out of Texas. But it was part of the National Pro Fast Pitch League in 2016 and 2017. And they still play in the National Pro Fast Pitch League. Yet somehow they're independent. I really don't know how that works. But yeah, Scrapyard Dogs. We got the Chicago Bandits, the Canadian Wild, Aussie Peppers, and Akron Racers. Peppers and Bandits and what? It just, they're just hilarious names. I mean, Scrapyard Dogs takes the cake. But Dogs, yeah, you can't beat that. But, you know, the age old issue with women's sports salaries in the National Pro Fast Pitch League are abysmal, averaging from five to six thousand dollars. And the minimum salary is three thousand dollars. The average MLB salary for a little comparison is four million. And the minimum is five hundred and forty five thousand. So, OK, yes, 
Obviously, since I did not know what this league was, the fact that neither of us knew about them in the same way that we knew about other leagues, obviously the National Pro Fast Pitch League doesn't have the reach or popularity of MLB and certainly doesn't net the same revenue. But it's not because people don't like softball. Because interestingly, college softball is one of the few revenue-producing sports for the NCAA. So the only sports in the NCAA that have larger revenue than women's softball is men's football, men's basketball, and men's baseball. And we're going to really dive into college softball in a little bit, but it's clear that revenue potential is there. It's not like you can just use the scapegoat argument that everybody uses. Well, nobody wants to watch that because that's not, I mean, it's just simply not true because they do show college softball on the ESPN networks, the Fox Sports Network. And people watch it because they wouldn't play it if people didn't watch it. Exactly. So that brings us to this really interesting new company called Athletes Unlimited that launched back in March with the goal to reinvent pro women's sports, starting with softball. Because the founder, John Patrykoff, describes women's sports as an untapped opportunity with growth potential, which we see too. And a lot of people are seeing. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting about Athletes Unlimited is that the founders wanted to create a new model for women's sports and not base it off of men's sports. So they want to create this new model that takes cues from fantasy sports, which full disclosure, I do not do fantasy sports. Julia, are you a fantasy sports gal? Yes. Yes, I am currently in the playoffs for the, we're doing the NFL fantasy. So hopefully I'll be Rachel. Okay. So you will understand these rules much quicker than I did, but basically during the pandemic, athletes unlimited launched a six week softball season that gave players real livable salaries and a platform to show off their talent. And they're planning to launch a professional volleyball season in February. And then I think also women's lacrosse, but I don't know when that's coming out for sure. And so this is going off of the COVID example, but this will also be true for normal time. So first off, all games for a season will be held at one sports complex. In COVID, this seems like so normal and ahead of the curves, like a la a bubble. But for Athletes Unlimited, this is always the plan. So even without COVID, the idea is that all games for a season will be at one stadium. And then second, the players are split into four teams, but the teams aren't fixed. This is where it's like fantasy. So every week, there's a new draft, just like how you can shake up your lineup every week in fantasy. And the top four players based on the previous week's points, become team captains and draft teams each week. And the theory behind this is the founder believes fans are focused on individual athletes. And these days, people have less and less allegiance to the city they were born in or are living in. I definitely think that this rings true with younger generations. Mm Mm-hmm. Because these players are getting their own platform to speak a la social media. And Mm -hmm. so you can get to know them so well. So it doesn't matter that I've never stepped foot in like Milwaukee, for example, but I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, so it's like, yeah, people don't really like, I consider myself any given week a Chiefs fan. I love watching Patrick Mahomes play. 
and I consider myself, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like a Chicago Red Stars fan, but I love Kelly O'Hara. Sorry. I'm going to root for the Washington <laughs> Spirit now yeah. that she's been traded there. That's a great point about social media. I hadn't put two and two together that that was linked, but I think you're absolutely right because I agree. I feel like a lot of the random players that I like on teams that, yeah, I have no connection to, no allegiance to, it's because of social media and because I like, quote, like them as a person. Exactly. And so you're going to root for them to do well, even Mm -hmm. if they're playing your team, you might still even root for them to do well. Yeah. Wow. I I've, I feel like I can see clearly now because that makes so much sense. I'm like, yes, of course it's social media. It's social so media. Point there, man. Yeah, let's go. I got noggin up here. It's up there. Yeah. <laughs> so each team plays three games per week. And I know we're all like, hold on a sec. If the teams are switching every week, how do you win? Basically, this isn't a team sport, but individuals are competing for the championship. So only one player will be named the season's winner and the winner will be determined based on a point system, which is tallied by team and individual performances. The scoring is a little complex, so we won't break it down here, but you know, essentially you get points based on how well your team does and points based on how well you do. And I'm sure, you know, they take into account different players, positions and blah, blah, sort of equation that puts weights on different statistics or whatever yeah it's almost like they're contractors that's what makes it seem like like the players Mm -hmm. are their own contractors so now to the best piece about this league so the total compensation pool is worth over 1 million the base salary is 10k so already we're like double what the national pro fast pitch makes Mm -hmm. and then there are team and individual performance bonuses that can allow a player to earn as much as 35k And then the other thing is that players will get a share of the league's profits for the next 20 years. The other cool thing is that all of the games were broadcasted either on CBS Sports Network, ESPN2, ESPNU, or ESPN3. And this is huge. We have talked about this before, but there are so many women's sports leagues and games that are relegated to Twitch or Facebook Live or other random streaming sites. I'm sorry. I don't know how to get Facebook Live on my TV. I don't know how to get Twitch on my TV. You just want it's whatever is easiest. If you have to go through and do 20 steps to find a game, you're just turning off people from doing so. And finally, the first season wrapped up at the end of September with Olympic gold medalist Kat Osterman winning, who is, I think, one of the best softball players of all time. But the league's second season will be in August 2021. And I am so psyched to watch. And Julia, you'll be in Chicago by then, maybe? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Moving in January. So maybe that, I guess, I don't know if I ever said it, but the games took place in Chicago because like Chicago's like, you know, the birthplace of softball. So maybe you'll be there. Maybe you can watch all the games. If they allow me in the building, I will be there. There's a hype video from the first season. I'll put it on our website, but it is fabulous. It makes me want to just like whack softballs out of the park. Get fired up. Hit a glove. You know how like you always like smack. (laughs) Yeah, when they're waiting. It's like a stereotype. Yeah, there's like a very stereotypical where like you have a glove on one hand and you're punching it with your fist on the other. Oh, actually, okay, sorry. Total aside. Okay, the second greatest softball scene in any movie ever is Princess Diaries. You know, when she like finally yes. hits it and yes. she scores and she passes PE or whatever. That is oh my the gosh. second best softball scene in any movie. Wow. I'm so sorry, but...
Now the moment we've all been waiting for, college softball. So the Women College World Series is a big effing deal. I would love to go. Yeah. Softball is officially one of the few NCAA revenue sports. And the Women's College World Series and Women's Softball brings in dough for schools. And one of the re- uh, I don't I started talking. I was going to be like, what are the reasons why? I don't know why. But <laughs> it, it kind of is. And we just accept it. It just is. We accept it. So Title IX, which we've talked about like a hundred times from the 70s, our favorite legislation, it essentially saved softball because after the first professional league that one BJ King did, IWPSL, blah, blah, died, Title IX was enacted. And since fast pitch softball was a women's sport only at the time, it allowed colleges to comply with Title IX. So basically, you know, the idea is if you have a football team, you need some women's sports team to offset it. And softball often was the natural fit. Mm-hmm. So softball is huge in college. The College World Series is essentially the final piece of the NCAA Division I softball championship. It is held in Oklahoma City, which is now like the hub of softball. And that's not far from Omaha, right? Which is where the the men's baseball college world series is in Omaha, Nebraska. So it's kind of like a similar-ish format, but it's a lot smaller. There's only eight teams total. So it's like two four-team double elimination brackets. So the winner of each bracket, you know, you can go two and one or whatever. The winner of each bra- bra- bracket will play each other for the best of three final. So it puts a pressure on each game, which is nice. I like that. I like. I don't personally like the World Series or like the baseball. I hate seven game series. It's like, okay, it takes a while. Like Jesus. Yeah. It, yeah. It lets you kind of like dick around for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't want any dicking <laughs> around here. So no, get to work. <laughs> so who are the powerhouses of women's softball? One UCLA. They have literally won 12. The Bruins just kill it all the time. They Yeah, they've made it to 22 finals and have oh made God. it in the like tournament just in general 32 times. And it's only been around for 37 years, so they're just like completely dominant. Whoa. UCLA, don't Damn. mess with them when it comes to softball. You see a girl show up to your company, your little finance company, softball league, and she's wearing a UCLA softball gear. Her back is going to hurt because she's going (laughs) to carry that team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's going to get all the points. I just sounded like I had no idea how softball was played. Get (laughs) all the points. All the points. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Julia's like, oh my God, Sophie, calm down. <laughs> <Point>. <laughs> yeah, runs, get all the outs, strikes, whatever the words are. Um, <laughs> so sorry. All right. Get it together, Julia. Okay. So then we've got Arizona, which has which won eight championships between 1988 and 1999. Arizona and UCLA, between the two of them, won 12 of the 13 national champions. It's like having two dynasties at once. Yeah. Then we got Oklahoma. They've won four champs. In 2000, they beat Arizona in the semis and then UCLA in the final. And it was the only time ever a team has beaten Arizona or UCLA in the final rounds. And they beat both of Both them. Both of them. Damn. That's awesome. The other, I would say the other like schools to know are Arizona State, Texas A&M, Florida, and Michigan. Go blue. Go blue. Go blue. 
So now we're going to run through some great moments in Women College World Series history and also some of the great players so we can all get our fangirl hats on and start watching some softball. We're going to talk about Kat Osterman. So she is a superstar. She's the one who we spoke about who won the Athlete Unlimited softball season this summer. So she played for UT and she holds a record for the most strikeouts pitched in a seven inning game with 18 strikeouts in one game. Holy crap. That's like, I was 27, you know, if you see three in an inning. Or no, 21. Yeah. What was that math, Julia? I think I said I did three (laughs) times nine. I was like 27. Three times seven, 21. 18 strikeouts, so like three people maybe got a hit. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. Nuts. She's thrown nine perfect games in her career and ranks second in D1 history with 2,265 strikeouts. And she's been described as one of the best pitchers in softball. So the next lady worth mentioning is Lauren Chamberlain. So she holds the D1 home run record with 95, and she holds the D1 slugging percentage. She played for Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Wow. (laughs) Oklahoma Sooners. So I was watching her career highlights, and oh my God, highly suggest it. And my gosh, the crack when she like hits the ball, that sound is... It's just so fun to watch. And I read this article where like some former teammates or opposition or whatever talk about how she had the ability to just change the momentum of a game with one swing. And so there's this one game. It's game one of the 2013 World Series. Bottom of the 12th. The score is tied at three. And Lauren hits this walk-off homer. And the Sooners then win that game against Tennessee. And it is a great video to watch. I found it, some video where it was like shot from the stands. Oh, I love those angles. And it's tied. It's the 12th inning. I think one person on base. And she just hits this crazy homer and the stands erupt. Going wild. I love that. And up next, we got um, Stacey Newman. So she, by professional and Olympic metric, is the greatest hitter of all time. She was such a good hitter that no one would pitch directly to her. So she became great. I think balls outside the strike zone, like they would purposely try to throw a ball and she would just attack it anyways and would go after it, which I respect so much. Um, I wish more people would get into that because it would be annoying if you walked up and nobody would pitch you because they're too scared. So you might as well make them pay for it. She had the home run record. In Division One, before Lauren Chamberlain broke it, she played for UCLA from '97 to 2002, which is kind of a shame because YouTube wasn't really a thing yet, so you don't get to watch, you know, enough videos of her highlights. Such like a standard thing for that time period. I wish I could see more yeah. footage from the '90s and early 2000s because there's definitely some gems. I know. I feel like honestly, thank God for YouTube and phones for sports highlights. Oh, yeah. It, it's just the easiest way to get stuff out of push of a button. I mean, I, I do still watch SportsCenter, but I was like religious about watching SportsCenter. But now I don't really have to because I just get everything like on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So then another player we got to talk about is Rachel Garcia. She has been described as one of the best pitchers, but also a great hitter. So in the 2019 World Series, it's UCLA versus Washington, and she threw 10 shutout innings and then hit a walk-off home run to take UCLA to the championship with a three-run home run. So, I mean, she can do it all. She can do it all. So her college career actually isn't over. So you can find her on Twitter. (laughs) Um, But she is the ace for the reigning national champs, which is, of course, UCLA. I've seen her highlights. Rachel Garcia, she's really good. I mean, it's kind of scary. 
Actually, I wonder if you've seen this double play from the 2018 World Series. That was like a really crazy thing to, for me to ask without any context. Yeah, this is the one, I, the one yeah. where the girl is trying to bunt. Yes. Yeah. It's so crazy. it's game one. It is nuts. It's game one of the 2018 championship series. It's Florida State versus Washington. And Florida had lost its first game in like the regionals and the World Series opening. So it had to win every single game to get to the championship. So we're in this championship and it's the seventh inning. Washington has a runner on base. I'll put this video on the website just because it is another one that just the energy of the crowd. I just love it. So Washington bunts. For those of you who don't know, it's a like little short hit. And Jesse Warren for Florida comes out of nowhere. And Julia... You were right in that she was probably playing third because it wasn't the pitcher or the catcher, but somehow some other player. She's like out of the frame and then all of a sudden comes into the frame. Okay. Yes. Dives from the right side of the frame, gets this bun, snatches it from the air, and then leaps up, whips it to the first basement. And so they get out that runner that was on first and the person who was hitting it and it was just like a crazy double play and she moves so, so quick yeah that's the best oh. part i mean they, it's just like mechanics and they just whip it out you know and like oh such my a, gosh i could like never even imagine my body moving that fast i feel like if i were to dive and catch a ball i'd be so happy that i dove and caught it that i would just like lay there. Think to, yeah i just lay down and be like oh, i did my job like check yeah so they like, went above and beyond yeah, softball is great because there are so many tiny little like bite-sized clips of just insane athleticism and fun and victory mm-hmm. and all the good stuff we love about sports. Yeah, definitely. So one of my favorite feel-good moments, the highlight of like the best of humanity slash great sportsmanship happened back in 2008. And I remember watching this. It was on SportsCenter. It was like probably one of the top 10 plays of the week. So the clip, it's a 2008 Western Oregon versus Central Washington softball game. And it was a really important game. The winner got into the NCAA Division II playoffs. So we're talking about the College World Series. That's Division One, So just the next tier down. Um, it was senior day. So there are a lot of parents there, you know, filming. Aww. And uh, it's 0-0 in the third inning. I, bo- I bought your last name. I didn't look up how to say it. I really should have. So I'm just going to call her Sarah T. But she's coming up to bat, and she's never hit a home run in her life. She was a walk-on. She got a scholarship. So she walks up to the plate, takes a first pick strike, and then just crushes the second pitch for a homer. So this is going to put him up like in this very important game. So she's heading to first base, and she missed it, which is completely no big deal. Like People do this all the time. When you're running the bases, you can, if you don't like time your foot correctly, miss a base. But you have to touch all of them in order to be counted as a home run. So when she missed it, she's just like, oh, no big deal. I'll turn around and go back to it. Well, as she's turning, her knee just busts, essentially. She she tears the ACL. She crawls back to first base. She's sitting on top of it, but she can't walk because she just (gasps) blew out her knee. Well, the first thing that she even remembers hearing was there's there's coaches on first and third base for the hitting team. Yeah. The first base coach goes don't touch her, and then immediately goes and starts talking to the opposing team coach and, and the umps, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And the reason why he said don't touch her was because if you get help from someone on your team, whether it be a coach or a player, you can be called out. And they didn't want her to be called out because she just hit a home run. So while these coaches and the oh umpires God. are meeting, while poor Sarah is just sitting on first base in the dirt, 
the first baseman on Central Washington, Mallory, she just, by some stroke of genius, asked a simple question, am I allowed to help her? Can I help her? The, the other team, she just watched Sarah hit a home run against her in this really important game, but she still, like, selflessly enough asked, can I help her? So Mallory asked Liz, uh, who was a shortstop, if she would help carry Sarah around the bases, and Liz said yes. So Liz and Mallory from Central Washington carry around Sarah around the bases, and as they're carrying her, they have to like slowly kind of put her down so that her foot that's hanging over can tap each base. And the oh parents God. realize like what an amazing moment <sighs> this is. They're recording because it's senior day. They just go wild. <gasps> the fan, the people in the fans, and this clip just goes completely viral for 2008. Um, and it ended up winning the SB for best sports moment in 2008, which is oh really cool. Oh my God. Because it was just, it's the best in humanity and people love to see that type yeah. of thing. And so in one article I read by Keith Sharon of the Oregonian, Sarah said that she could tell a lot about a person based off the reaction to this story. So, you know, the college bros would say it should never happen because winning at the end of the day is the most important thing. You shouldn't help out another team. Um, Young girls tend to say that the story inspired them. But then she says, Sarah says that when dads get, quote, super Uh emotional when they talk about it, which is just adorable because they see their daughter in Sarah, Mallory and Liz as like putting oh my gosh their differences aside and helping out. And it was just such a cute moment. And I'll never forget something like that. That's incredible. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. I don't want to say I'm tearing up because I'm not that close, but I'm very moved by this story. I, it's it's just the best in humanity and so cool that it got to come out through a sport like softball. And that's why women's yeah. sports matter because these moments matter. Damn straight. I'm so excited for the next Women College World Series and the next Athletes Unlimited season. I'm going to keep watching all of these like highlights of grand slams and crazy pitchers. And if you want to see like cool stuff about softball players, I'd honestly recommend Just Women Sports on Instagram because they do a yeah. really fantastic job of covering women's softball. Yeah, I love a lot of the Just Women Sports stuff just I know. in general, but yeah. Kelly, my girl. I think they had, actually, they had Kat Osterman, who we were talking about earlier on their podcast, like they did. a couple yep. months ago. Yeah. We can't just call up Kat, you know, we're not that big. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there one day, but. I mean, Naomi Osaka never reached out to us when yeah, we shouted pain, her out. right. <laughs> From the history of the softball team <laughs> to you. Team. <laughs> oh, shoot. From the history of the sports broad team, we want to wish you a good night. And play hard. Thanks for listening. Check out our website, historyofthesportsbra.com, for episode extras and more content on the wonderful world of women's sports.